0: Hey, we're on chapter 20, Satan and Demons, for the last week today. Um, uh, so we're in the third time uh, today of the Satan and Demons chapter, part 3. So um, I'm just doing some highlights from the last two weeks. D2 on the outline not all evil and sin is from Satan and demons, but some is. That is a sentence that's trying to. Avoid two mistakes that people make. One mistake is to say everything's a result of demons. And I think that's not the way the New Testament speaks. It talks about our sin more than it talks about demons as a cause of evil. But the other mistake is to say, oh, there's no demonic influence in the lives of Christians today. Uh, that's all for an old, uh, you know, previous generations or b- previous centuries. Uh, it's none of that today. And uh, and I think that's wrong too if we say that the New Testament is an accurate picture of uh, the spiritual state of affairs in the time of the new covenant, which is where we live. So that's, that's uh, one point. And then E, the emphasis of the New Testament, this is Main letter D, number 2, point E, the emphasis of the New Testament is not on the influence of demons, but on the sin that remains in the believer's life. Yet sinning, even by Christians, does give a foothold for some kind of demonic influence in our lives. I think Paul hints at that when he says, uh, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity uh, to the devil. And we put on the breastplate of righteousness, to that is, conduct in obedience to God's moral standards, is a breastplate, kind of if we have this armor of various kinds, that that's a protection. Uh, uh, righteous conduct is a protection against the enemy's attacks, but if we give in to sin and disobedience to God, then that and we've got holes in our armor, and uh, there is opportunity for attacks from the enemy. So we talked about that. And then under D5, that would be on the back page, Jesus gives all believers authority to rebuke demons and command them to leave, and this is where we came to the came to um, this is uh, th- that was the end of the review, and now we're starting these last two major points this week. Um, what we see in the life and ministry of Jesus, and I went through this earlier on the outline, is that people were amazed. They said, "What is this? With authority, or with a word, he commands the unclean spirits, and uh, they depart." And so people who had been afflicted by demonic oppression or influence in their lives. All of a sudden, Jesus commanded them to be gone, and pow, they were gone. And everybody's amazed that Jesus had this power, this authority, and he said, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you in Matthew 12. And so um, what we see there is that when Jesus came and began his ministry, it was the breaking in of the kingdom of God, starting to undo all the evil that had happened in the world in various ways, healing people of diseases, forgiving sins, for sure, but also releasing them from this oppression or bondage or uh, imprisonment that they'd had to demonic forces in various ways in their lives. And Jesus is casting those out, driving them away. And so you see the kingdom of God just advancing and people's, people's lives being set free. And this is, what, this is what the rule of God, not the rule of Satan, this is what the rule of God starts to look like in people's lives. And all of a sudden, there's a wonderful change. And so Jesus called the 12 together and gave them authority. Luke 9.1 um, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Luke 10.17 the 72 then returned with joy saying lord even the demons are subject to us in your name <clears throat> so it just wasn't a, <clears throat> it wasn't just jesus and it wasn't just the 12 disciples that became the apostles but it was then 72 disciples others that he sent out two by two to preach and the demons were subject to them so the authority that jesus had he imparted to others and um, Luke 10:19 as well to some of his disciples, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, nothing shall hurt you. And then we see this with the Apostle Paul as well in Acts 16:18, for instance, in the city of Philippi, there was this soothsaying girl, and she was troubling him and interfering with his preaching of the gospel. And Paul became greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out in that very hour. So um, there was authority that Paul had. And then Paul seems to expand the idea that we have power and authority in spiritual conflict. He seems to expand that to all believers. In the church at Corinth, he says, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, there's a, dis- there's a discussion in the commentaries what we and us and our means in Second Corinthians, because Paul uses it a lot. But I, I think e- even though in a number of verses there's a primary focus on him, it seems like there's a hint that there's broader truths that apply to the whole Christian life. And I think that's true here, for instance, in Second Corinthians, uh, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And what would those weapons be? They'd be prayer, the word of God, faith. They're spiritual weapons. Praise, worship. And then um, Ephesians 6, 11 to 12, there's no question at all here that this has to do with the Christian life generally. Put on the whole armor of God that you, and that means the Ephesian Christians, now, uh, think, again, Ephesus was one of the largest cities of the ancient world. Paul ministered there three years, and so all Asia heard the word of God. And so when he's writing to Ephesus, he's writing to a very large church, and it's going to all sorts of little villages and towns in the surrounding area around Ephesus. It's just truth that applies to Christians generally. It's not just for a certain person or certain time. This is what is true of the Christian life. And Paul says... To them, and I think therefore it's the word of God, he's saying to us at Scottsdale Bible Church this morning as well, put on the whole armor of God, that you, that is you, Scottsdale Bible Church Christians, as well as Ephesians Christians, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then he says there is a conflict. We wrestle not, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. He's viewing the world, the unbelieving world, the world that's given over to sin. He's viewing it as a as a kingdom of darkness. And he said, we don't wrestle against human enemies. I, well, he had human opponents, but he said behind that, the real opponent is these spiritual forces, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so he's telling them, put on the whole armor of God. And then he goes on. uh, In fact, I probably should just mention the elements of that armor because it's very applicable here in Ephesians 6. What are the components that make up the whole armor of God? Well, um, Ephesians 6.14, the belt of truth. The enemy, Satan, lies. And so we are to dwell in the truth, believe the truth, speak the truth. And many times when people are... Under demonic oppression, they are given over to believing lies, believing lies that that alcohol is going to make them happy, that gambling is going to solve their problems, that drug addiction is going to bring them real joy. They're believing lies, not the truth, or that whatever. Uh, And so put on the belt of truth, truth as in the word of God and what it teaches about our life and about the world. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that means doing what God tells you righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And so the good news of peace, peace between God and us, peace between us and others. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So here your shield that you're holding up, people who saw Roman soldiers in battle array they would know that what that shield was. The shield of faith, you quench the flaming darts of the evil one. So the darts come, and the shield of faith knocks down those darts, those attacks. I think that faith means confidence in the Lord, in his power to protect us, trusting in him, not believing, not giving into fear, not believing, oh, these de- demons are so powerful, I can't do anything against them. Well, of course, you can't on your own, but the Lord is in you, so don't Don't panic. Don't become afraid. Shield of faith. And that faith, of course, is deepened as we believe the word, read the word, believe it. The Shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. What's the helmet? The helmet of salvation. Forgiveness of sins and a relationship with the Lord, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the sword is the weapon that you use to uh, 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 to offense. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a weapon that you use to attack, not just to defend. So the sword is the Word of God, and the Word of God and all it teaches and its truth. And I'm going to give you some scriptures in a few minutes that have to do with the fact that Jesus has triumphed over Satan, and and uh, these things that we're teaching about the Lord's victory over demons are the sword with which we defeat um, the attacks of the enemy. How did Jesus stand against the temptations of Satan in the wilderness in Matthew 4? Three temptations, three times he quoted the Bible. He quoted Deuteronomy. He was out in the wilderness, he quoted the passages from Israel being out in the wilderness. He saw the parallel and he made the application. He quoted the scriptures that defeated the enemy. Praying at all times in the Spirit. So in addition to that armor, we pray in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. And so those, those are the uh, weapons that we use. They're, they're, not, they're, not, uh, they're not physical, earthly weapons, but they are um, truth, righteousness, peace, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God. Then all, all of that covered by prayer. But the picture is that we are involved in that conflict, yet the expectation is that these weapons are sufficient by the power of the Holy Spirit to give us victory. And that's the perspective we should have, not to be frightened, but to say, God has given us the weapons to give us victory and the power of the Holy Spirit. Here again, Peter then, in a similar manner, expects that Christians, ordinary Christians, will be involved in conflict with demonic forces. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Again, that isn't firm in the apostles' faith. That's your faith. And Peter is written to hundreds of churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, these regions of the Roman Empire. So again, it's a general truth teaching all Christians, resist the devil, firm in your faith. He's expecting that Christians will have some struggle and will be able to stand against uh, against him. Someone mentioned to me uh, someone who had some familiarity with what lions do what what type of what um, uh, what what animal from a herd is the lion going to attack? the weakest one and also it, 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 yeah, <laughs> the slowest one sister <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, uh, the one that strays away from the rest of the herd, right? That's by itself. And I, I guess it's all right to make an application. You get out of fellowship with the Lord's people, stray off by yourself. You don't have the encouragement, support, the admonition, the counsel, the accountability of others. You're opening yourself up. to a a roaring lion, Satan, attacking you because you're not in the protection of the fellowship of God's people. Anyway, resist him firm in your faith. And then James also, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will get the victory. Is that what it says? Resist the devil, he'll fight back and make it worse for you? No, absolutely not. It says resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Again, that's an assumption that Christians are going to be involved in this kind of spiritual battle, that there is a kind of warfare, there is a kind of conflict. And if we haven't experienced that, we haven't known that, I think perhaps we've been neglecting something that the Bible thinks is true, the Bible expects to be true of our Christian lives. Ephesians, 1 Peter 5, James 4, expecting this is part of the Christian life. Not the biggest part. Not the only part, but part. Now, I've heard some people say, well, wait a minute, Wayne, you shouldn't say that we can command demons to leave? Doesn't Jude 9 tell us that the archangel Michael couldn't rebuke the devil? Let's look at this. Jude, uh, verses 8 to 10, Jude only has one chapter. Yet in like manner, these people also, these people, what's the context? It's false teachers coming and disturbing the church, these false teachers. These people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority. So they're, they're, they're doing all sorts of sinful things. They reject authority, and they blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand. These people, these false teachers, and they are destroyed by all that they, they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Uh, It's a a kind of a tough passage in terms of a lot of words being piled up together. But I think what's happening is that um, Michael didn't produce a a blasphemous judgment, that is one that's dishonoring to the Lord, and he didn't go beyond authority that God had given him, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. So I think the point is, don't utter blasphemies in dealing with the, that is, things that really dishonor God in dealing with the enemy, and don't go beyond the authority that you have given. Apparently Michael didn't have authority to rebuke satan but these people they they reject authority they aren't subject to the authority that they're supposed to be subject to and they're going beyond the authority that they should have and so don't and so it's just an accusation against them the passage says nothing about Christians not dealing with demonic activity it doesn't say oh James was wrong and Peter was wrong and Paul was wrong we don't have conflict against demons it doesn't say, "Oh, these other things were wrong, and we shouldn't resist the devil, or uh, resist him firm in your faith, or war against him with the spiritual forces." It's just, it's making an argument against false teachers who are blaspheming and taking authority that they shouldn't have. And so the point is, don't t- try to take authority you don't have. But I'm just arguing from these other passages that we do have this kind of authority. Sandy. Well, and it just strikes me, it, it what it did was trigger in my heart just really praise and gratitude for what it is to be um, a blood-bought child of God that that essentially through Christ we have been given authority that an archangel doesn't have and that certainly unbelievers don't have. And it's not because of who we are, it's because of what Christ has done for us to yep. the glory of the Father and the indwelling of, this, of God's Good. Spirit. Good. Yeah, I, I think that's really helpful, Sandy. I'm just going to repeat it. Sandy's saying, well, it awakens praise in her heart that we have authority that even an archangel didn't have. That is, that we're redeemed by the blood of Christ, and the Bible says that we have this authority. We have the sword of the Spirit. We have the shield of faith. We have the command to resist the devil and to stand against him, and he will flee from you. And we have many promises. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And Jesus had given his disciples authority over these unclean spirits. So we've got multiple scriptures that perhaps at least, at least tell us that we have this authority. And perhaps it's different from the authority that God has given to angels, uh, at least according to this verse, although it's a mysterious, murky kind of verse. But I don't think this verse really should deter us from what these other many verses say. Well, B, because of Christ's death on the cross, our sins are completely forgiven, and Satan has no rightful authority over us. So, Hebrews 2.14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And so, here, the Son of God came to destroy the devil, that is to render him powerless, uh, weak, ineffective. Um, And Colossians 2.15, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him um, or in the cross. The question of uh, how to translate this, but but it's surely pointing to the cross and it's saying that God or Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. And so um, they, their, their authority is significantly diminished. Revelation 12:11. They have conquered him. They have conquered the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. So there's authority that Jesus has given us. And when Satan attacks us, he's he's going beyond the bounds that he should have because he's attacking one of God's own children. Galatians 3:26. where in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith, and we have the inheritance rights of sons, all the privileges of being God's children, members of his kingdom. And so, Satan and demons have much less power than the power of the Holy Spirit. And that means we have no need to be afraid. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Um a number of years ago now uh, my pastor asked if I would go with him to visit a couple that had asked for, to come for prayer and and um and some other th- so um so we went to this couple's house and um we just got to talking to them a little bit the, and the and what was happening was just sitting there in their living room was happening this woman was saying well I'm hearing voices and they're telling me to kill myself and I've been hearing them for it's been going on for weeks and weeks so um, my pastor said well what you know what are you are you hearing those voices now and she said yes (laughs) and so he said well what are the voices saying And she said, "They don't want you here." <laughs> okay, now what am I thinking? They don't want you here. Well, who doesn't want us here? I don't see anybody else. But it was, it was, it, it was obviously demons. I mean, who else is going to tell her to kill herself? And and then that they don't want you here. And now I've got a choice: Am I going to be afraid because there are demons here, or am I going to say He was in you is greater than <clears throat> He was in the world? So. As soon as she said that, I said, good, I'm glad they don't want us here, <laughs> because they know they're in trouble. <laughs> but that's just kind of an expression of having, not, being, not being frightened, but having the shield of faith to stand in that kind of situation. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Philippians one twenty eight. Paul's talking about the human opponents at Philippi, but I think there's a broader principle here. We should not be frightened either, not be frightened in anything by our opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Philippians 1.28, Ephesians 6.16, the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the enemy, of the evil one. Satan, you know, it's, it's like the opposing football team that isn't a good team. And they know they can't beat you, but they try to do this trash talk to psych you out, to try to make you think they're a better team than, than they are. And uh, I think that's what Satan tries to do sometimes, or demons try to do. They try to frighten us or, or, or make us think that they're more powerful than they are. Uh, we have the shield of faith to say no. God's word says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It says, your, your power has been disarmed and Jesus has triumphed over you on the cross. Um, 1 John 5.18, John tends to, in in 1 John, there are a lot of these kind of black and white statements that are put to give, um, to kind of present the truth in a very bold way. And so we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, uh, and the evil one does not touch him. I think that means that the evil one doesn't do us permanent damage. I don't think it means that there's no attack at all. There is attack. But, but ultimately, we're confident in the, in the fact that um, there's not going to be permanent spiritual harm for us. So, so we don't have to be afraid. Then the question is, why did Jesus speak directly to these unclean spirits? Why did Paul say, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of here? come out of her? Why is the pattern of speaking directly to the unclean spirit, rather than just praying and asking God, Lord, will you drive away any unclean spirit here? I don't think that Christians have hesitation praying, Lord, will you please drive away an unclean spirit? But, but a lot of Christians I meet think, I'm not sure that I would dare speak against an unclean spirit and say, I command you in Jesus' name to be gone. But that seems to be the pattern. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It doesn't just say pray to God and have him drive the devil away. It says you resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. You take the sword of the Spirit, that's attacking. And uh, Jesus quoted Scripture against the enemy, and so we we use Scripture to speak to the the enemy. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Or again, here's another Scripture. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus is speaking right to Satan himself. And Matthew 4, 10, Be gone, Satan, it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so there's a pattern, and Paul's pattern. There's a pattern of speaking directly to the unclean spirit. To my mind, this is a lot like the question, why does God ask us to share the gospel with our neighbor rather than just praying, Lord, will you please save my neighbor? And never say anything to your neighbor. Why does God ask us to share the gospel with our neighbor? Why do you think? Oh, I've got the answer right there. <laughs> it allows us the privilege of being involved in the spread of the kingdom of God in the world. That's good. God doesn't bring, He doesn't bring about all the things in this life that He wants, He doesn't bring them all about just by kind of automatically granting us stuff. He has us work for our daily bread. He has us bear witness to others and share the gospel. And I think he has us speak against unclean spirits and command them to leave because it lets us be involved in the work of the kingdom. And there's a privilege in that. And that's great. And when and when you... Oh, I know Margaret and I... Um, oh... Many years ago, seven, eight, nine, ten, at least years ago, went and uh, met with someone to pray, and uh, she, uh, she and her husband asked us to come over. She had been having migraine headaches for, I think, for years, and there was a bad attack. And we prayed, and as we got to talk, she, she thought, and we thought there, there was a demonic component here as well. And so I just said, well, do you think there's some kind of evil spiritual? influence here yeah she did and they felt that well would you mind if i just command it to leave okay that's fine and so i just said well now 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 just i'm um, will you l- just look me in the eyes so that i i wanted i wanted her to look at me um i'm not sure why i can't quite defend that from scripture but it's but then i said i'm not going to be speaking to you i'm going to be speaking to the demon and then i just and then i just said you unclean spirit causing this pain, be gone in the name of Jesus. Now Maybe I said it twice. I don't know. I can't remember. And the Lord took away the pain, and we saw her many, many years later, and she hadn't had any recurrence. It hadn't come back. Or maybe one other time, began to come back in the evening one time, and she just commanded it to be gone herself. And it was gone. And then for years. well now, there's a joy in that, isn't there? You just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that she's set free. Now, I'm not saying that all migraine headaches are caused by demons. But it seemed like that one was. Or at least there was a demonic component. Now, we also prayed. And if there was just a physical component to those headaches, something to do with the blood flow in her head or something like that, then we asked the Lord to heal that, too, because I think there can be a combination of things, and I don't know how to sort that out. But there's a joy in that. To be, to be involved in that kind of ministry. Another analogy I heard from Tim Warner. Tim was the um, Missions Department Chairman at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School when I taught there in Illinois. And, and Dr. Warner and his wife, Eleanor, longtime missionaries with the, the Missionary Church out at Fort Wayne, Indiana, and then he came on the faculty at Trinity, and he taught on this, and he said, you know, it's sort of like a wise parent who doesn't go out and settle every playground dispute for his parents, or for, for his children, um, but kind of lets the kids work it out themselves. And uh, God lets us work out some of these things ourselves, and, uh, and it strengthens our faith. So I think that God does tell us that we have authority to do this. So it seems to me that, for instance, in a case of unusually strong uh, sinful emotions, it's appropriate to say something like this. Uh like if I'm if I'm um uh, if I'm alone at night in a in a strange place or in a in a building or even in our house maybe and all of a sudden some fear starts to come on me then I would say something like and and if I think it's a demonic attack I'll just say spirit of fear in Jesus' name, I command you, go away from here. Or get out of here. And don't return. And I just say it like that. And usually that deals with it. Um, and uh, I think that that's what is involved in this wrestling and waging war. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, uh, but against the authorities, spiritual forces of evil. Uh, we walk in the flesh, but we are not waging war according to the flesh. Yes. Okay, good, Pammy. I said a couple weeks ago, I don't think demons can read our minds. Why do I think they can't read our minds? Because, because uh, at least in Daniel, when the king said to all his magicians and astrologers and everything, tell me my dream and the interpretation. They said, nobody in the world can do this. No magician can do this. And and But Daniel said, but there's a God in heaven, and he can do this. So I think that that's evidence that the demons can't read our minds, and we don't need to worry about that, only God knows what's going on Jesus knew people's hearts knew what they were thinking, so yeah, I think it's important to say it out loud, or at least it doesn't you know just maybe quietly sometime but uh but so that there's a verbal uh command, yeah, Margaret, yeah. Okay. Let me just see here. Well, I, 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 yeah. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, um, that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Um, I think it's important that that we that we just feel comfortable. Comfortable. I guess that's the right word. Or, or strong in our faith to do this. Margaret is saying, could I say something about what happened with praying with our kids when they were younger? For all three of our children, they, when they were growing up, they, they went through a time, I don't know when they were three, four, five, when they were getting a lot of scary dreams at night. And uh, I remember <laughs> I remember one incident particularly, and I'm not going to mention which child it was, but, but uh, Daddy, Daddy, I have scary dreams. So I go down the hall... And I say, okay. Um, and I don't, and I don't say there's nothing here, because I think there is something there. I think I think it was a demonic kind of attack trying to arouse fear. And so I say to my son, okay, um, what do you see? Witches. What color are they? Yellow. You see one right now? Yep. Can you look it in the eye and say, In Jesus' name, go away? So he thinks for a minute and then he says, In Jesus' name, go away. What do you see now, son? Killer frogs. Okay, do you see killer frogs right now? Yeah. Can you look one in the eye and say, in Jesus' name, go away? Yep. So he did. And we went through two or three of these things. And what do you see now? Nothing. How do you feel? Happy? (laughs) Then I pray for him, that the Lord would protect him. But why, why did I do that? I want to teach him not to be afraid. And teach him to stand. And uh, I think just walking through that, and not making it a big dramatic thing, a big emotional thing, or something like that. I I went to visit uh, an, a church, or it was a church in Wisconsin one time, and uh, <clears throat> speaking over the weekend after I spoke at this one conference two or three times, this uh, this couple came and and they said, "Look, would you pray? Uh, would you pray for?" Um, would you pray for my wife in this situation? And there was a physical problem that she'd been having. And I said, sure. So we just went off to a side, so it wouldn't be troubled. And it was in a, some kind of country club or something. So they had a side room over there where they're having this conference. And so, so she came, her husband, and a friend of theirs. And and I said, sure. So so the four of us were there, and so we prayed for a minute, and then. And then I asked her, just inquired, and it seemed to me like there was a demonic attack again. And so I just went through that same thing, and I I said, okay. And and I got her permission, and so it wasn't frightening to her. I said, in Jesus' name, be gone from her now. And then we prayed that the Lord would heal the physical affliction that she had. And and the, the friend that was there, this guy that was there, said, is that all? And he had come from another church, another denomination, I won't tell you that, where casting out of demons was this really loud shouting, and it went on for hours, and I'm exaggerating maybe, but but it was really long and drawn out, and I just don't think that's the picture of Jesus casting out demons with the word. And so, so he just said, is that all? Well, I learned later he was a physician, and he'd been trying to treat her for this ailment, and after that just few minutes of prayer time, it was gone. And so I was so thankful. And a pastor came back to me three or four years later and said, oh, you know, this family in our church is so thankful for just that few minutes that you spent. Well, it was, the, just, it was having confidence in the Word of God that this is what God commands us to do, and just doing it. And the Lord um, gave good results. So thanks, Margaret. For um, times of intercessory prayer may include an element of verbal rebuke to demonic forces that may be a component in situations for which we are praying. And now I'm, I put you see the word may in there, and may that means I'm a little unsure about this, but I think it's right, just to be honest with you. But we had another situation with one of our sons where there was a behavior problem that just hadn't responded to discipline, and it hadn't responded to prayer, and hadn't responded to counsel, and it was Margaret and I just didn't know what to do. It was a te- it was a bad temper actually, um, and. One day in my private prayer time down the basement in my study, where nobody else was around and our son was off at high school, I, I just said, you, you evil spirit, your spirit of anger and bad temper in, I won't say which son, I command you to be gone from him in Jesus' name. I just did that two or three days in a row in my private devotional time. I didn't tell anybody. But all of a sudden, we started to notice a change. So somehow, I don't know, the sound waves went a long distance or something. Somehow, I think, it, it sent the demon away that was aggravating this problem of bad temper. And um, the problem's gone, right? <laughs> this is 20, <laughs> I don't know how many years later. So, um, so I think even at a distance, somehow this sometimes works. But I don't have a specific verse for that. Okay, I'm just telling you. Um, appropriate use of the Christian spiritual authority and ministry to other people. So now, uh, just some pointers here. It seems important not to frighten people by talking glibly about an area familiar to us but frightening to others. God is not a god of confusion, but of peace. Paul said that should be 1 Corinthians 14:33 on your outline, not just three, 14:33. Okay, so we're talking about this. We've been talking about this for three weeks. It's a strange area to some people. And then you go out and somebody asks for a prayer, and you say, oh, there's a demon there. And all of a sudden, oh, man, people are really frightened. So I'd be very cautious about that. And I, I even am careful about using the word demon. If I'm not sure where the person is, I would say, you know, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm thinking maybe there's a demonic component, I'll say, you know, do you think there's some evil spiritual influence here or some negative or harmful spiritual influence? And sometimes the person will say, no, I don't think so. But it's surprising how often people say, I have wondered about that for years, if there's some demonic thing here. And all of a sudden, it, re- it frees the person to say, yeah, I think it is. Well, then I would say, would it be okay with you if I just commanded it to leave? And I think a reflection of our faith in the Lord and faith in his word is, Again, not to make it a dramatic, emotional thing, but just kind of a, this is the way life is, and this is the way the world is, and this is the way the spiritual reality of the world is, that God gives us authority in this area. But I'd get permission from the person, and then the person must want to be free from this. There was a situation, again, where I was with some, some Christians, and um, let's see if I can disguise this, so don't don't give it away. It wasn't here in this area. But... It was again a pastor and um and some other uh, mature christians and a woman had been having some difficulties uh, that she thought were demonically related and so and so a group of us was there ministering to her and and we commanded this demon to release her, and she actually started to have trouble breathing she was going. And, and so either I or the pastor, I can't remember, commanded again, release her and come out of her. So it, it, it didn't work. And so we just kind of read some scripture and prayed for her, and her breathing calmed down, and we just let it go. But it looked like there was a struggle, like this thing was kind of struggling. But I found out later that the pastor hadn't told us. There was a continuing problem of marital unfaithfulness on her part. There was sin in her life, and she wasn't willing to give it up. And so the demon had a foothold. And so I think it's important that that if you sense there's some, some disobedience or some sin, say, Are you willing to renounce that now in Jesus' name? In fact, and say out loud, I renounce this sin in the name of Jesus and Lord will you forgive me so that the person wants to be free. She didn't want to be free, and so we were just gonna it was just gonna be a mess and so we just stopped. If given permission, if the person says, "Yeah, it's all right," then I think a brief command should be spoken aloud, telling the spirits to leave. I don't think it has to be dramatic or emotionally charged, but it's it's with authority. It's like the same kind of voice you'd use to chase away a stray dog uh, or some you know uh, from your from your backyard. It's uh, be gone, get out of here. You know, you're not, you don't belong here. Now, be gone. And so. Um, and that's maybe even louder than I do. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed those who were sick. The power comes not from our words, but from the Holy Spirit. If it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Focus not on the demon, but on the person being ministered to and the truths of the Bible that need to be believed, affirmed or believed. Uh, we take um, the belt of truth, The belt of truth. Is it true that you've been forgiven by Jesus? Then does this this accusing spirit have any right to accuse you? No. So you're focusing on the truth of the Bible and the person uh, himself or herself. Uh, The sword of the Spirit, the word of God, and use scripture that is appropriate. Um, It's important that believers not become overly curious about demonic conflict. I'm teaching on this because I think it's part of what the Bible teaches. But I don't think I want to do a 15-week series on this. And I don't think we want to get into too much detail or become overly fascinated because um, Paul says, "Don't be infants in evil, but, but in your thinking be mature. In other words, don't become experts in all the details about evil. Just deal with it and go on. For non-believers who are ministered to, it's important that the person be urged to come to Christ as Savior immediately after the demon is cast out. I haven't had really experience of casting a demon out of an unbeliever, but apparently um, Jesus did, and, and Paul did, and with this soothsaying girl, for instance. Um, Jesus said, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, <coughs> uh, but finding none. And then it says, I'll return to the house from which I came, and at it, it, verse 45, it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And so <coughs> it's important that the Holy Spirit come into the person. Um, through salvation. And then effectiveness in difficult cases of demonic influence may be related to our own spiritual condition. Though Jesus had given his disciples authority, um, there was a time when they couldn't cast out a demon. Jesus rebuked him and the demon came out of him, Matthew 17, 18 to 20, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, "Why could we not cast it out?" He said to them, "Because of your little faith." Isn't that interesting? For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say this mountain move from here to there. I, again, Margaret and I were ministering at a college campus in another state one time, and and uh, a student in this Christian ministry came to us and asked if he could if we would pray with him. And and uh, then as we talked, he thought there was a demonic attack. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I prayed. Margaret and I together, and then and then I said, "Well, can I rebuke this demon and and command it to leave?" He said, "Yes." So I commanded it to leave, and then not his voice, but another voice started to come out of his throat and and just laughing at me, and I I got panicked. It scared me, and so uh, and so I tried to command it again, but 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 nothing happened. It was just I'm telling you all these failures, but but I I think what happened was I lost my faith. I got psyched out it was like the it was like the uh, football linesman that the other guy says I'm gonna run right over you and he says okay I think you already panics and <laughs> and and so I um I just it surprised me and I shouldn't have done that I should have said what I said to that in that other case well I'm glad they're they don't like me here because or they don't like us here because they know we're, there's trouble for them um, but I don't know why that happened it just happened but um, um, so I think that in their cases where there are difficult cases, it does depend on our faith. And Jesus said in Mark 9.29, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And there may be some situations where long periods of prayer and, being, and dwelling in the Lord's presence so that our walk with him is really close would be important. We should not rejoice too much or become proud in our power over demons, but rejoice in our great salvation. These the 72 returns said, Oh Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, Well, don't rejoice in this. Re- rejoice uh, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I don't think he, I think it's a, <clears throat> it's a relative contrast put in absolute terms. I don't think it's wrong to be happy that people are set free from demons and, and rejoice in that, but the greatest rejoicing is uh, in our salvation. And then number seven, we should expect the gospel to come in power to triumph over the work of the devil. Our expectation should be that something will happen, that this will work, that it will be positive. Uh, This is the advance of the kingdom throughout the world. Um, Luke 4.41, demons came out of many crying, you are the son of God. And at Samaria, Philip, who wasn't an apostle, went to preach the gospel. And unclean spirits came out of many who had them crying with a loud voice. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. I had a couple of other examples that I wrote down. Um, every time we've moved into a new house, sometime during the moving day, I've gotten off by myself in, in one of the rooms, and I said, any evil spirits here, I command you in the name of Jesus, be gone. This house now belongs to Jesus Christ, and you have no authority here. Now be gone, any unclean spirits. Well, one of the houses we moved into <clears throat> in, uh, in Illinois in 1994... When I did that, I felt in my spirit just some, something leave or something departing. And we didn't find out till many months later. But finally, one of the neighbors said to us, do you know the previous owners used to show pornographic movies down the basement of that house and they had other neighbors over? We had no idea. But there was a demonic presence there that we didn't know about, but I think left on that day we moved in. Let me see. Anything else? Well, that's, those are, those are, I'll just take, we can take a, a couple minutes here for questions, I guess, if you want to. Way in the back. Way, way in the back. Yeah. Go ahead, a microphone's coming, but go ahead and start. Um, not, say that they will Satan. will Satan in the name of Christ people use that scripture about binding Satan. Is that not, you hadn't mentioned that, and I just wondered, is that not to be used properly? Or? Um, yeah, um, binding Satan. Um, there is a passage in, is this me or what is this? <laughs> um there's a passage, in, I think in Matthew 12, when Jesus says, how can one enter the strong man's house unless he first binds the strong man? And I think he's saying that he has bound or restricted Satan's activity when he came, probably at his temptation in the wilderness. Um, I've heard that too, and I, to be honest, I haven't thought about it much, and I don't know if there's any other passage where people say, I bind you in, in the name of Jesus or something. I, I guess there's nothing wrong with it, but I, I can't anchor it to any Bible verse. What else? Pammy? Can you tell me where the word soothsayer comes from and that? That soothsaying girl in Acts 16, where does the word soothsayer come from? I don't know the etymology of the word. Um, the uh, the Greek word in that passage has, I think, yeah, I think it has to do with fortune-telling, soothsaying in the ancient... I'm not going to take time to look at it right now. But it... Um, I think she told people's fortunes, she gave prophecies about them and things like that. There was a lot of that going on in the Greek world. And it was that these demons knew some true things about people's lives just by observing them. And so they were able to be amazed at that. But, of course, all, and you get that in witch doctors, you get that in, in tribal religions, you get it in palm readers and horoscope people, uh, you know, or just go... Out in the marketplace today, out in the world today, there are palm readers and fortune tellers and Ouija boards. I think there is some uh, spiritual uh, demonic reality to that, and so they can amaze people, but the result is always harmful. The, the things they tell you and the things they want you to put your trust in are not the Lord and his word, but they're always destructive. you know that psychic detectives uh, that can tell people where the bodies are? And oh, psychic, okay. yeah uh, i uh, psychic detectives that can tell people where a body is hidden well maybe it was a murderous demonic spirit but but you know what there's always a price and the price is always worse be- the price is always higher than the gain and so and so satan doesn't give anything for free and so if he gives information it's always to bring more destruction into people's lives and more harm and so i and again, there are movies that I won't watch, and there are television shows that I don't watch because I think there's a lot of demonic influence in them. I don't want to open my heart to that. I don't want to open my mind to it. Um, so, okay, what else? Uh, Audrey? something about generational sins or strongholds yeah. that are passed down? Okay, good. Generational sins or strongholds. I look often at first, someone says, hey, wait, my great-grandfather was an alcoholic, and my father was an alcoholic, and I'm an... And I'm an alcoholic, and I can't get rid of it. And I, you know, what, what do you do about something like that, or bad temper, or sexual sin, or whatever? I look at First Peter 1, um, 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, but with the blood of Christ. And I will often pray with someone and say, "Look, can you claim First Peter one eighteen in your life? It says you were ransomed from the futile ways ways of life, ways of conduct inherited from your forefathers. Let's pray that that pattern will be broken now, because it doesn't need to be true. Because you've been redeemed by the Christ by, by the blood of Christ, you've been ransomed, set free. And so, and so, and I might I might say, Lord, will you free Pete or whoever from?" The, the bad temper that's been passed down through generations, and then any evil spirit that might be there, any spirit of anger or bad temper, be gone from him in the name of Jesus. I don't see in the spiritual realm. I'm kind of fishing in the dark here. But I'm just, for an insurance sake, just saying, be gone. And, and sometimes people sense nothing, and maybe there's nothing there, but sometimes people say, you know, I think that there was a freedom that came there. So, Yep. Also, when you were praying for your son and so uh, saw through you think that was because he was under your umbrella of protection? Oh, was it because uh, my son was under the appearance umbrella of protection? Yeah, but I think there was faith in his heart, too, in Jesus that he had already trusted. I am nervous about going beyond the time, even though um, I realize nobody in here. We've got a worship service in 15 minutes. So let me, Margaret, one last one. What? Julie. Hi. Um, I really appreciate what you said about um, getting permission and um, also speaking directly to the demon, and I was wondering if um, in cases where someone is demonized to the point that they're not really able to communicate with you, Uh, like the person can't communicate with you, and you can't get permission from them, in that case, would you... Sure. Oh sure. Speak directly just, or would you pray or what would you No, do? I'd do both. I all, I'd i always pray and speak directly and if you can't get permission then you can speak and see what happens. Um, I, that'd be a very hard case and I haven't I haven't dealt with something like that. But, okay, the only person... Oh Noni, you... I, I can wait. No, you get privileged here. <laughs> Noni's the head of our counseling. Well, I, I see Ephesians, yeah. I think it's 6.17, as a charge to memorize scripture. Ah, uh, it says yeah. we need to use the uh, uh, the sword, sword of, spirit, of the spirit, yeah. which is the yeah. word of God. Yeah. But then, a question, isn't uh, the uh, Greek word for word different than logos? In Ephesians 6.17? Mm-hmm. It's Hrema, um, which does, Hrema and Lagos are overlapping, but Hrema does tend to <clears throat> put emphasis on the spoken, uh, more on the spoken or written word sometimes. Um, I think that you could make an argument, there's a, there's a nuance there that would lean toward speaking it. I wouldn't make an absolute case, but, but, but Hrema gives you more ground to stand on there. Yeah, thanks. So say it. Speak the word of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in the midst of a world uh, filled with um, evil and sin and a world system in opposition to your kingdom and a world filled with the powers of darkness, that you have redeemed us and set us free and that you give us authority over unclean spirits and you command us not to fear and that you are with us, and that you tell us he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we thank you, Lord. Help us to use these truths wisely and to see the driving back of Satan's kingdom, to see your kingdom triumph and set people free. Amen. See you in two weeks.